The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit to say that we find our guests in a variety of ways. Some of our guests are personal connections. Some are public figures we admire. This week's guest was someone our executive director, Bob Inglis, felt passionate about having on the show. And boy, was Bob right. Brian Webb is an instructor of environmental studies at Houghton College, and he also serves as the college's director of sustainability. In that capacity, he leads the college's efforts to promote environmental stewardship at an institutional level, which includes overseeing sustainability programming, coordinating with faculty to incorporate sustainability into their curriculum, working with facilities to promote sustainable operations, and directing the college's efforts to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. All things we can get behind. He joins me in conversation to talk about the courses he teaches at Houghton College and to kind of explore what led him down his current path. Listeners, do you have a question for our executive director, Bob Inglis? Now's your chance to not only pose a question to Bob, but to hear his answer on a future podcast episode. To be part of our Ask Bob Anything segment, open the EcoRight Speaks in Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and in the text box, instead of writing a review, which we love, you can say some nice things, but in addition to the review, plop your question there. We will be monitoring and feeding the questions to Bob, who will provide the recording for a future episode. Why did he run for Congress? What convinced him that the science of climate change is real? What is his favorite breakfast? Ask your burning question, and we will work on the response. And now, my conversation with Brian Webb. Welcome back, listeners. I am here today with Brian Webb. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Chelsea. So glad to be here. So, listeners, as I mentioned in the intro, Brian is someone who has crossed Bob's path. Bob has um, visited or been a guest lecturer at some of your classes that you teach at Houghton College. Isn't that right? That's right. Yeah, Bob's appeared in uh, several different classes that I've taught, actually. So what you have one coming up that I thought I would just give you a moment to plug for those who might want to attend because it's open to everybody, correct? Yeah, we started a series of of courses that we're making available for free in webinar format online, just as a way to broaden our base of people who are engaged with the college. So I actually have two uh, free webinar courses coming up, one which starts uh, just in a few days here, September 1st, our first meeting. Uh, and that's called Environment Society. And we look at the dynamic ways that human society interacts with the natural environment. What are the causes, consequences, and solutions for how we engage uh, with the kind of issues that come up from that. And then the second one was one that I offered last spring, and we're going to offer it again this winter. Uh, it's called God, Country, and Climate Change. And we look at the intersections between faith, politics, culture, and climate change all wrapped in together. And how do we look at this particular issue that is especially challenging today 
uh, within the context of, of how all those things sort of interweave together. And that's the class that I had Bob for this past spring. So let's, I, I want to talk about both, but let's start with God, Country, and Climate Change, because I think it's a great title, first of all. Thanks. And um, we have had on the podcast in the past a couple of different guests who come from climate change advocacy from this perspective, one of faith. And so yes. talk to me a little bit about that. I know you you were involved or you founded Climate Caretakers. So let's just talk to the listeners a little bit about why you felt like this is something that you wanted to put on your, you know, put out there content that you're putting out there for free for people. Like, why is it important to kind of spread the word on that message? Oh, that's a great question, Chelsea. Uh, I grew up with a strong faith background. For, for me, my faith identity has always been really important to who I am. And uh, when I began to learn about climate change and what else happening in the world, uh, for, for me, it, it immediately connected to my faith where I was able to see, wait a minute, how come the church isn't doing a whole lot around this issue? And, and that is, that's changed over the years. And, and we're seeing more and more segments of the church begin to do stuff. Uh, but initially, uh, and, and even continuing to today, there are large, really, chunks of the Christian faith that, that are, are largely missing from this conversation. And yet, at the same time, I, I like to say Christians have far more reason to care about the environment, to care about the climate, than secular environmentalists do. We have all the same scientific reasons, all the same common sense reasons, but we have a deep theological reason behind that as well, where we know the creator of the world. Uh, we, we know that he has, has told us that we're responsible for stewarding what he has made. Uh, and so we better darn well do a good job of that because we're going to be held responsible for it. So I, I really think Christians ought to be at the forefront uh, of acting on climate change because it's entirely consistent with, with who we are in our faith. So how, I know that it was, gosh, probably like five or six years ago now that Pope Francis um, made a pretty strong affirmation for the Catholic right, yeah. Church anyway with his, um, with his, his um, writing that it's really important to be taking climate into consideration kind of yeah. for the betterment of humanity. How much does something like that influence other Christian um, faiths? Is it is there overlap? Does anyone go, wow, Pope Francis, or is it really just the Catholics that take that message and internalize it and listen to it? Well, I, I think, I mean, Laudato Si, the, the encyclical is a fantastic document. And, and encyclical, that was, I was like yeah. trying to find the word in my mouth. I couldn't find it, encyclical. <laughs> One of those words we don't use too often in daily life. Uh, it's a brilliant document and it's well worth reading. I think the large scale statements made by religious leaders um, we have tended to overplay their significance, particularly in the evangelical community. There, there have been a lot of different statements by various evangelicals over the years, uh, supportive of acting on climate. And I think, I think part of that is sort of this American trend toward individualism. I think part of it is the nature of the evangelical church is, is much more distributed instead of a hierarchical leadership structure like you have in the Roman Catholic Church. It's much more distributed. So the, the statements of leaders, I think, has much less significance, in the, particularly in the American evangelical church, mm -hmm. uh, than it does have elsewhere. Um, that plus, as we all know, the topic of climate change has gotten so enmeshed in our politics and our sociocultural divides that, that really it's become very difficult for people to engage with it on a scientific or even on a theological basis because it's so kind of enmeshed in our cultural and political identities that it makes it really challenging to actually engage with it productively. Yeah, that's a, an excellent observation. 
if one of our listeners wanted to take God, Country, and Climate or your other course, um, Environment and Society, where, how would they go about signing up for those classes? I'm not sure what the, the URL would be for how to sign up for that, but there's a link. I could send it to you. I don't know if you could post yeah. it. Oh, for um, sure. We can definitely somewhere. include the link. Yep. Great. Yeah, I can send you the link, uh, Chelsea, for, for you guys to post along with uh, the podcast. But we really want to make this available for people as a resource. It's a great learning opportunity. Um, we want people to know about Houghton. And there's a marketing perspective there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we want people to know, particularly our niche is, is speaking to people from a Christian background. And we want Christians to understand the role that they can play um, in addressing these challenges. So we see part of our role, not just educating the enrolled students who are on campus, but finding ways to educate the church more broadly. And I think this is one way we can do that. Have you ever had students from Houghton College who bring their parents or cranky uncle or whoever it is to (laughs) bring them into the fold through your free offerings so that there can kind of be that parallel learning experience? I have conversations like this all the time with my students. We're like, (laughs) Brian, how do I talk to my parents about this? They just don't get it, or I just don't know how to talk to them, or it's always so uncomfortable. Um, and, and we actually, I had a, one testimony from uh, a woman, uh, I think she, she wasn't one of the college students, she was a grown woman taking the webinar course this past spring. And she wrote me halfway through the course, and it's just one of these fantastic stories that as a professor, it just always makes your day or your week even. And, uh, and it, she was talking about how her, her parents had always had this, she works as a scientist specializing in in climate related uh, field and she does a lot of education about it. And her parents always sort of wrote her off as going off the liberal deep end, so to speak. And she finally convinced her parents to take this course because they're like, okay, God, country, climate change is coming from Christian perspective. Um, They took the course and the the word that, that she said back was that my parents finally turned to me and said, oh, this is what you do. That makes sense. <laughs> I can get on board with that. And so for me, that's just a highlight, obviously, as an educator. But I, I think it's people need to hear that there are responses to climate change that fit within their cultural worldview. And that's really important. So for us, for speaking for myself and for others coming from my similar faith background, for us, that means understanding that, that being a Christian means I take this issue seriously. And taking climate change seriously is entirely consistent with who I am as a Christian. Um, And it's important that we find ways to frame this conversation in those words. So that's usually my advice to people is find ways to connect with people. Uh, One of our good friends uh, that that Bob also has, Catherine Hayhoe, likes to say the most important thing that you need to do is to find those connection points so that you can build a bond with people about this, first of all. What are the things that they care about and how can you use that as a bridge of conversation with people? Right. People need to trust the messenger. And when they trust the messenger, then they trust the message more. And I think that applies really to anything in life, not just big issues like climate change. Um, So to that point, you have this other class that's about to start in a week, environment and society. So how does that differ? What sort of connections between human society and the environment are you looking at in that class that are different from what you would look at in God, country, and climate change? So the climate course is, of course, very specific to the issue of climate change itself. We do a deeper dive into that particular topic. Environment society is a much broader look. Uh, and really looking at sort of the structural forces behind environmental challenges and understanding those dynamics. So right before uh, our call here, actually, I was working on a lecture on tragedy of the commons, understanding how we manage 
open access resources, how that plays into the different types of environmental problems that we see. So sort of understanding more deeply the, the broad-based causes of environmental challenges. Um, we look, of course, at climate, but we also look a lot at biodiversity. We look at waste-related issues mm-hmm. uh, and other sort of big-scale uh, environmental challenges. Uh, so that's a, it's a, that's a broader discussion about environmental issues more generally and how do you approach those within, I mean, like anything we do at Hope, it's it's from a Christian framework, uh, but it's particularly looking at environmental issues and understanding the dynamics behind why environmental challenges are happening today versus, you know, 100, 200 years ago, why we weren't talking about these as much, whereas now uh, they're much more significant. And, And what are the dynamics behind why that takes place? We now continue on the Eco Right Speaks podcast. Visit republicen.org online to sign up and stand with us. Recently on one of our republicen.org team calls, we were talking about environmental justice. And I think environmental justice has sort of been um, broadly categorized as a left-leaning issue or something that the left-leaning groups care about. And the point that I made on, um, on the call was that if you are looking at this from a perspective of faith, I feel like environmental justice would be something that that you would want to help solve, right? So this is a, um, I see it in the county that I live in, right outside of D.C. It has a you know decades long history of being a play, being the repository of toxic waste and right, yeah. hazardous factories and so forth because you didn't have the same level of of advocacy. You have a little more poverty. And so as we look at how to sort of right these wrongs, right, we shouldn't just be dumping our pollution, dumping our toxic waste in places because the people there are too busy working three jobs to be able to fight it. There is, there is a component, I think that you can, I think there's an appeal to the faith community to engage with environmental justice in a way that doesn't feel like it's a left-leaning issue. Absolutely. And the faith community has a bit of a mixed background on this, but there's, I think, some real shining positive examples of how the faith community has been able to engage in justice. And I think there's a great potential for climate change to be one of those areas as well. You know, from when you're looking at it from a biblical perspective, the word justice is the same word as righteousness. So righteousness and justice in, in the original language are the same actual word. So, so certainly there's a, a strong background from a biblical perspective of how we deal with that. But you also look at issues like human trafficking, for example, uh, an example of one where the church maybe was a little bit late to the game in terms of getting involved, but since has responded very significantly. Uh, whereas now some of the leading uh, players responding to anti-human trafficking efforts are faith-based groups. Um, I, I think climate change can also has the potential to be that. It, plus, if you look at it on a global scale, you know we tend to be very isolated within our American context. But if you look at it on the global scale, some of the leading players on a global scale on the climate crisis are faith-based groups. If you're talking about uh, some of the countries on the, on the frontline impacts of climate change, many of those are deeply Christian countries. And so some of them have the, the church leaders in those countries, countries like the Philippines or some of the low-lying Pacific Island nations. These are countries with very significant Christian populations. And the church leaders in those countries tend to be the ones who are speaking up the most loudly about our need to do this. So there's definitely a lot of great examples of Christians who are responding to this in significant ways from a justice component. And I think there's tremendous opportunity for the church to continue to respond that way. So in the length of time that you have been doing this um, at Houghton College with um, 
students coming in and out over the years. Mm-hmm. I feel like right now, as the mom of a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old, I know that since the time my kids were little, there was never a question in their minds that climate change was real. You have to take the science seriously. Part of it because their mom does that for a living, but part of it because they learn (laughs) about climate change in school. Have you seen an evolution in what people are, what your students are thinking like on that first day of class? Are they a little more open now than they might've been five years ago or seven years ago as this kind of, I guess that the millennial generation used to be young at some point, but you know what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah, Oh, absolutely. And five or 10 years ago, when I would bring up a conversation about climate change, I had to be a little more, we are a more conservative campus, uh, Houghton College is. So five, 10 years ago, I had to be a little bit more cautious in how I brought it up. I, I was kind of careful and sort of sidestepping around how I approached the issue. Uh, nowadays, I just, I bring up climate change and, and most of the students that I'm talking to, they're on board. Of course, it's a problem. Uh, and that's conservatives and progressives alike. You know, we are mostly conservative on campus. We've got our, a collection of, of progressive students as well. But even the more conservative students on campus, we sponsored an event this past year with the American Enterprise Institute Club on campus, uh, educating about climate change. And all of the leadership in that group were, were fully on board with, yeah, this is an important issue. I think the younger generation gets it today. And, and that's significantly different from five or 10 years ago um, and certainly different from older generations. But the, the students... It's nice to see that the polarization doesn't quite extend as much to the younger generations. That, to me, is an encouraging sign. Well, you start off in a sort of farther down the, the path, because instead of having to get right. to that point where you can agree on whether there's a problem, we can agree there is a problem and let the debate focus on the solution. Yes, exactly. Let's talk about the solutions. Yeah. So do you delve into solutions talk in your classes, or do you kind of keep it more at the the problem level. Oh, you have to dig into solutions. Otherwise people feel completely disempowered. <laughs> what's, the <laughs> point in, what's the point in doing something about this if nothing can be done about it? Uh, there are lots of great solutions to climate change. Um, and a lot of those solutions are consistent with conservative principles is what a lot of people don't tend to realize. It, it, just because one party has tended to own this issue politically, it doesn't mean there aren't great conservative solutions to that. So I'm really a big fan of groups like Citizens Climate Lobby that put out there looking for bipartisan solutions that can be agreed upon on both sides of the aisle. I think that's really where the future lies. Um, So yeah, I love talking solutions, especially with college students uh, and exploring different ways that that can look. Well, I was going to ask about your CCL, Citizens Climate Lobby engagement. You're a community or chapter leader where you are. So I'm assuming you're kind of out there in the trenches, working for that um, carbon dividend proposal that they are so famous for advocating. Right. Um, when was it that CCL sort of came to you as, as the path forward, you know, with their policy solution and how is that going in your local community? Do you see that, that the idea of pricing carbon in exchange for a dividend is gaining traction? Yeah. A friend of mine introduced me to CCL about six years ago. And my immediate response was, oh, this is what I've been looking for. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and and it's, it's exactly because CCL is intentionally nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they actually want solutions that are nonpartisan. Um, and the ethos within the organization is just so consistent with who I am as a Christian. It's all about building bridges. It's all about respect. It's all about humility. It's all about finding ways to work together, regardless of what background you're coming from. So, so I love that about the org. That, there's the CCL plug. But 
Yeah, I do see increasing interest in, in large part because this it actually is effective in responding to the climate crisis. The, the, the proposed legislation is more effective than just about anything other single. There's no magic bullet, but this is as good as it gets in terms of power, you know, how much how much power you're going to get for your punch. Uh, but it's also very consistent with market based priorities because it's a market based solution. Uh, conservatives tend to like it. And I like it for that reason, too. So I think it's a solution that can work. So yeah, as I introduce people to this kind of a solution, I find a lot of interest there, regardless of what background they're coming from, because I think it does appeal to, to both sides of the aisle. Yeah, we're definitely big fans of free market solutions and putting a price on carbon. And, you know, we, we look a little bit differently than CCL does. But if CCL were to get their bill through as a private citizen, I would definitely be applauding. I'm right, yeah. sure that Bob would be, too. Um, the work they do is, as you said, it, their reach is everywhere. So part of my job is that I'm constantly looking at news opportunities um, or people in the new people making news who are sort of unusual suspects. So we call our community, the eco right people who are, you know, right of center who embrace um, climate science and want to see some market-based solutions. And so I have all these Google alerts set up on my, (laughs) and, you know, I get hundreds of emails a day and I tell you, I see so many CCL op-eds, CCL letters to the editor. I can always tell when I start reading, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a CCL volunteer. And it's really just magical how this organization has, it compels people, regardless of where they fall in the political spectrum, to reach out and and write to their, either their policymakers or sometimes those um, op-eds and letters are geared more toward the community at large. And it really is an effective communications tool. And I think Republican also fills a similarly critically important niche within that. For example, my parents took my, my climate course um, and they come from a pretty conservative background. And, and, and over the years, they have become really interested and engaged with climate change and largely because of the work I do. But of all the speakers I had, I, there's a lot of fantastic speaker, guest speakers I had in the course. Bob was the one that they resonated with, with most because they, they like the, the Republican ideology and conservative principles. And Bob communicates in a way that it helps people see that that responding to climate change can be consistent with those. So I, I'm big on CCL. I'm also big on Republic Ian and Bob. And, and I think that you guys do incredibly important work where you are. Well, thank you so much. And I love that your parents took your course. That's so great. You know, sometimes <laughs> my parents say things like, I still don't really understand what you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My kids would probably say that as well. Yeah. Um, Well, this is all really fascinating. I'm so excited to know that you're out there, that these classes are out there. You know, it's one thing to have the the college credit courses that are available to your students and then to have this other offering for people outside the community, I think is great. I love this idea or this vision of people pulling in their reluctant family members and maybe, you know, for... (laughs) If it's one person that you kind of convert to seeing the light, then uh, then that's, you know, you've fulfilled your 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 goal, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's great. We do what we can. Well, that's all we can do is do the little bit that we can one by one. Um, sometimes I like to joke that Bob is going to talk to every conservative in America in some way, shape or form. So. Oh, I hope he does. <laughs> 
Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time. I imagine classes are starting up soon for you, right? Oh, too soon. Yeah. Yeah. The (laughs) summer went by really fast in person or virtual or. Uh, We are in person. Yeah. Though it seems like things are changing pretty quickly now. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, best of luck to you. And I look forward to future conversations. Thanks. You too. Thanks, Chelsea. What a great guy Brian Webb is, Price. Thanks for introducing me to him, to you and Bob, for uh, making that recommendation to have him on the show. I thought he was a great guest. Yeah, Brian is a uh, salt-of-the-earth guy doing great work at Houghton College, uh, works in sustainability, environmental studies professor, you know, engaging that, you know, their evangelical community. Um, you know, it's their school is affiliated with the Wesleyan Church, and so uh, private Christian school founded back in 1883. Brian's been there f- for a while, but he's also uh, been somebody who's just been a great friend and ally for us uh, at Republican.org over the years. I, it escapes me how we came to to meet and get to know Brian. I think he reached out to us first, and then you know the relationship, as they say, just blossomed from there. So, yeah, he is a he is a great friend and partner to us at Republican.org, and also. Uh, the eco right, so really great stuff from from Brian, and, and thank you to uh, to you for delivering that this week. Well, speaking of the eco right price, I am so curious to know if we have any ask Bob anything questions for this week's episode. We do, and I will read it. And this question is a comment, then a question, and Bob will answer it. So let me just deliver the comment in question. Quote, this has been a fascinating listen. How do you connect with fellow Republicans who don't believe the science? I think that's something, end quote, and I think that's something that we we get quite often, um, whether it's our team, but also Bob specifically that he talks on different places, speaking engagements. But let's go ahead and get Bob's answer to how do you connect with fellow Republicans who don't believe the science? Here's Bob. I think most of us really do want to accept science and um, live better because of things we can discover. But a lot of us distrust the scientists, um, if you will, uh, because uh, we, we hear what they tell us through slanted media outlets um, or really uh, corrupted media outlets that don't present the science uh, very well or with a point of view so if you listen to fox or msnbc or talk radio or you get it on social media you maybe get a a a sideways view of that science and so as a result um, what we're looking for as human beings is people who like us and especially for people who are like us because from them we can learn a lot if you like me And especially if you are like me, I can learn a lot from you. Otherwise, I might distrust you. That's what we're dealing with with climate science is there's a lot of distrust. And what we need is more conservative messengers helping people to see, no, no, we we like you and we are like you. Then they maybe could say, yeah, well, that's good. You figured out how this science works and uh, we can avoid some of the problems of climate change in the future. Let's get with it. There we go. That's Bob Inglis, our executive director, former congressman, and our fearless leader. And if you've got a Ask Bob Anything question, you just go to Apple Podcasts in the review, find Eco Right Speaks, and scroll down the bottom, give us a star, but where it says write a comment, 
you can do that and put in a, a comment, but your question is what we're looking for. So uh, go to Apple Podcast and go to the review at the bottom when you we find the Eco Right Speaks. Go down to the bottom where it says write a comment. You just hit that little pencil, and then you can type in your comment right there. Very simple, very easy, and we will pick one to read on next week's show and subsequent shows that Bob will answer. So bring them on, Chelsea Anderson. I'm so excited to see um, what kind of questions that we're going to get for Bob. And also, you know, just to get that kind of feedback is really helpful for the show. And, you know, speaking of the show, we are coming in next week with one more episode before we take a little break. So I will be bringing you all my conversation with Mark Fleming, who is a one of the he's not the founder, but he was in pretty early with the um, conservative energy network, which Mm -hmm. is um, a group that they have several state chapters now started in Michigan. And Mark himself is in North Carolina and does, you know, this conservative outreach. And really, it's it's mostly people who have some connection to business. And so it's looking at the financial gains that can be had through clean energy and through innovation to solve climate change. So Mark is a great guy going to be talking to him and then price. I'm going on vacation. A well-deserved vacation that it is. So you'll be on vacation. We will take Tuesday, was it Tuesday, September the 7th off. That's the Tuesday right after Labor Day, right? Do I have, I've got, my, right. got my dates right. You definitely lab- have the dates right. So we'll be on air on August. I was going to say October. I wish it was October. August 31st. And then the following Tuesday we'll be taking off. So you can rest after Labor Day. You don't have to come back. You know how that day after Labor Day, the day after a long weekend, your inbox is always full. It always feels like there's a lot to catch up on. You can just put out of your brain that you have to catch up with us because we're giving you that week off and we'll be back in your ears on September 14th. That's exactly right. So on our way out the door, I want to thank some of our new members, Henry F. in, Los, in Louisiana, John N. in California, Laura K. in Oregon, Barbara H. in Wyoming, Harry C. in Pennsylvania, republican.org forward slash join. It is that simple. That's where you do it. We don't spam you. You'll get uh, our week in review that Chelsea puts together and comprehensive look at the week that was in the eco-right and climate space when it comes to media and things that are happening. So you'll get that. You will get uh, some polls. You will get a few other things. But the biggest thing you get and we get is the power and numbers standing with us regarding free enterprise solutions to climate change. Republican.org forward slash join Chelsea. But on that note, as we get a little bit closer to your vacation, we will do it again next week. Great job this week. And we will do it again next week. Can't wait to talk to you then, Chelsea. Don't forget to ask your questions and talk to you soon, folks. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.